Welcome to Lessons in Leadership. Steve Adubato with the talented Mary Gamba, our executive producer and co-anchor. How are you doing, Mary? I'm doing really good today, Steve. How are you? I'm great. We are taping at the end of a long taping day, but one of the great things about leadership is you must have endurance. Is that correct, Mary? That is correct. And it's all about mind over matter, positive thinking, and just really putting yourself in a frame of mind to say, I can do this and I've got this. And that's what we're here to do. And that's what we're here to talk about today. And it also has to do with our great sponsors. And we would not even have a chance to do lessons in leadership if it were not for them. Mary, could you plug them, please? Sure, I would love to. So it's Valley Bank, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, Prager Metis. Uh, we also have Seton Hall University and the Bassino Leadership Institute, the Kessler Foundation and New Jersey Sharing Network, Delta Dental of New Jersey and the North Ward Center. And we are seeing not only on News 12 Plus, but on a variety of other digital platforms, Mary, We'll plug later. Uh, let's kick off the show with a first timer with us. I know it won't be the last time. We are honored to be joined by Joe Lubertazzi Jr., who is the chairman of McCarter English, which is a major law firm, not just in New Jersey and the East Coast, but across the nation. Joe, good to see you. Nice to see you, Steve. Nice to see you, Mary. Pleasure to be here. You got it. And by the way, I want to thank our good friend, Jose Linares, Judge Jose Linares, for making the connection with us, and also Scott Kobler who is part of the firm as well, is a top um, leader on the board over at NJPBS. So organization very involved, law firm very involved in making a difference. Joe, let me ask you, describe McCarter in English for everyone so they know the significance of the firm. So we um, began many years ago, back in the 1800s. We've grown over time such that we now stretch from Boston down to Washington, DC. And a few days ago, we opened our Miami office. So we continue our stretch down the East Coast. We are a full service law firm of upwards of 400 lawyers, plus another 300 people who are part of our work family. So about 700 people total. You know, it's interesting. Uh, Mary and I talk a lot about business development as connection to leadership and, and Judge Linares and I, Jose and I talk about relationship building and because we go back a long way and we talk about the connection between being someone who understands relationships and business development. I call it a, a culture of business development or a business development culture. You have that at McCarter in English. Where does that come from, Joe, and how do you promote it? So um, we're very fortunate that our clients are our friends, and we're very fortunate that a lot of the attorneys here are very much entrepreneurs, and they're trusted advisors to their friends who happen to be clients. And our clients see that, and the word gets out. Uh, we enjoy being with our friends and that just builds upon itself. And so we are encouraged internally here to be entrepreneurs and to take care of our client needs. And it just builds on from there. One more quick question before Mary comes in. We've done a lot of leadership development and coaching in all kinds of organizations. And sometimes people with technical skills, whether it's finance or law or the healthcare field in the, or the unions that we work with, they know their field technically. They're experts in their field. They're really smart. But Joe, that doesn't make them leaders who can develop other people. You're smiling. Why? Um, we have over 200 partners here, about 225 partners. And, and we're like everybody else, every other company. Some people have special skills. Some people are very gregarious. Some people like to stay in their office and, you know, pour over tax documents, as an example. And so collectively, that makes us what we are. Um, some people do not like going out at night. Some people do not like doing the extra work that's part of the business development. 
So we have a wide range of, of talents within the firm, some of whom are very technical. Uh, you mentioned Scott Kobler, one of my one of my noted public finance healthcare lawyers. Scott's out constantly. Um, so it's it just depends on the person and the person's personalities. Absolutely. Mary, jump in. Sure thing. And one of the things that we noticed uh, with McCarter English is obviously you pivoted on a dime when COVID happened and you were very innovative, but also in that same time, you also reacted to the horrific killing of George Floyd by creating, um, I just want to make sure I get it right, the Social Justice Project, really talking about racial inequality. Um, can you talk about that a little bit and why that was so important to you and the firm? So we, we've always had a very well-known extensive pro bono program. But when George Floyd was killed, it, it really brought to the forefront that we as lawyers had a responsibility and the ability to help make change. And so within a couple of weeks of um, Mr. Floyd's killing, we put together the social justice initiative, the social justice project. We did not want a situation, um, if you go back to the media at the time, you saw some companies pledging dollars and then in my own opinion, moving on. We did not want to do that. We wanted to start a project. We wanted it to be long lasting. Uh, we're now past our um, one year anniversary and I already have a memorandum that was given to our executive committee from the project as to their objectives for the coming year. And it's not only just the attorneys. Um, as I said, we have 300 employees plus or minus who are not attorneys and they themselves want to get involved. Um, we also have uh, third year law students depending on um, applicants, anywhere from three to five students that are part of the initiative. It gives them exposure to law firms um, as they're in their third year of law school. Mm -hmm. And it also um, allows them to pursue areas that they are interested in. So for us, for the social justice project, uh, we've gotten into more focused systemic racism issues, whether it's housing, whether it's community economic development, whether it's criminal incarceration. Um, and, and it helps internally too with the morale within the firm to see that we're involved on a continuing basis. Real quick follow-up, and I'm so glad Mary brought this up. Joe, let me ask you, to what degree do you connect? I call it servant leadership, giving back. Everything you just described, they were not bottom line issues. They were about giving back, pro bono work, um, racial, social justice and equity. That's leadership for you, is it not? It is, and, and, and our pro bono director, Michelle Movahead, has a passion for this. Um, one of the items that makes my job a lot easier is we have a lot of talented people. So Michelle runs our pro bono project generally. We have two other people who assist uh, Michelle with the social justice project. Um, and McCarter, having commitment to pro bono, uh, we want to dedicate at least 3% of our hours, billable hours to pro bono. And with 400 attorneys, we bill over 600,000 hours a year. Um, we just received an award in Connecticut for helping veterans uh, two years ago. And that was a national award, but run with our Connecticut partners. Uh, I think it was two years ago, we, we won or were awarded the American Bar Association National Pro Bono Award. Uh, so for us, this is very important. We as lawyers have a responsibility to help those who may not be able to afford a high-priced lawyer or accountants or, or some other professional. So well said. Mary, you get the last question on this. Sure thing. And a lot of what we talk about is really instilling those exact qualities into your team. 
letting it be a culture part of the DNA, as you said, you're not just checking off a box and then moving on. How have you had that, uh, that effect where your team really is embracing that culture themselves? They see it obviously with you, but how do you instill that in your team members? Well, a few things. First of all, um, even though I'm the chairman um, and, and are busy with a number of things, I do make it a point to handle different pro bono matters throughout the year. Uh, to work with some of my younger attorneys um, in terms of mentoring, but also in the pro bono area. Um, we have a fiscal year of September 30th. And um, so I just gave our year-end recap to all the partners, which emphasized the requirement to do pro bono. Um, and we're just finishing up our compensation for partners. Um, and we look at all 200 plus partners and part of that is we look at uh, pro bono work that partners have done. So we make it a requirement um, that people spend time on this and pursue it. Yeah, one more, one more quick, yeah, I lied. I, I, I'm gonna get the last <laughs> question here. So, so Joe, I was talking about a culture of business development or a business development mindset. I'm fascinated by entrepreneurism um, because we're entrepreneurs, we, we coach entrepreneurs. I'm fascinated by people go out there, particularly in these uncertain times around COVID, we're taping this at the end of 2021. Let me ask you this real quick, but I'm also a fan of organizations that create a culture of coaching. Translation, I'm fascinated how McCarter in English develops future leaders beyond their technical skill. How do you actually do that? Is it organic? Do you assign mentors? How do you do that? It's more mentoring. It's more having our younger lawyers participate with the more seasoned lawyers in providing advice to our clients in, in trying to achieve the status of a trusted advisor. Um, and again, it depends on the type of law that, that you may be focused on on a daily basis. Mm. I do a lot of business law. Um, I have a lot of clients that um, ask me questions that are business related, but also uh, translate into the area of law. So it's a mixed issue. Um, I also do a lot of lender work and dealing with defaulted mortgages, defaulted loans, and trying to understand the business needs of our client. And also uh, layer on top of that are legal remedies that the client has. Mm -hmm. And over time, you know, the clients appreciate that people move from company to company. And so we try and work, like I said, with younger attorneys and just continue to develop that and mentor it over time. Hey, Joe, I want to thank you for joining us on Lessons in Leadership. To, to Jose Linares, to our good friend, Scott Kolber, who has made such a difference in public broadcasting. Um, I want to thank them. I want to thank you for all the work that you and your colleagues at McCarter and English are doing. And we look forward to engaging some of your colleagues down the road. All the best, Joe. Thank you both. You got it. I'm Steve Adubato. That's Mary Gamba. That is Joe Lubertazzi. We'll be right back right after this. This edition of Lessons in Leadership is made possible by the Bucino Leadership Institute at Seton Hall University, Prager Metis, Valley Bank, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, the North Ward Center, the New Jersey Sharing Network, Delta Dental of New Jersey, Kessler Foundation, and Seton Hall University, showing the world what great minds can do since 1856. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. Promotional support for this edition of Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Adubato, and my colleague, Mary Gamba, has been provided by NJ.com, NJBIA, 
and New Jersey Business Magazine, CIANJ, and Commerce Magazine. This is the Seton Hall story, one that comes to life every day on our campus. This is the place where great minds discover, innovate, collaborate, and find their true calling. This is the place where passion has a purpose, where learning inspires leading. The bonds we make, the values we teach, inspire our community to take heart and take action. This is Seton Hall University. This is what great minds can do. Welcome back to Lessons in Leadership. Steve Adubato, Mary Gamba. Mary, we're going to introduce a very special guest who we've been working with for several years. She's a leader. She's a top clinician at Hackensack Meridian Health. Uh, Mary, I'm going to give you oh, the well, honor. Thank you. I am overjoyed to be joined today by Dr. Amy Freeman, Chief Wellness Officer at Hackensack Meridian Health. A lot of what we talk about, uh, not only in the leadership seminars that we provide through our company, Stand and Deliver, but here on the air is wellness. So Amy, thank you so much for joining us today. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. In fact, to disclose, um, we, uh, our company, Stand and Deliver, works with HMH, Hackensack Meridian Health, on a Physician Leadership Academy. It's been several years now. And um, Amy joined us recently to talk about physician wellness. It was a very honest, productive, meaningful conversation. Amy, physician wellness, or wellness of any clinician, is important. Why is it even more important as we do this program toward the end of 2021? getting close to two years into this pandemic, why is wellness for clinicians more important than ever? Yeah, I think that's a really good question, Steve. And the reality is that wellness and uh, physician well-being was incredibly important before COVID, where we saw high rates of burnout uh, among physicians. But as we have been through this last you know, 20 or so months, it has been a strain. Uh, as you know, people are struggling right now and uh, our physicians uh, are, are no exception from that. We really need to focus uh, on well-being and, and, and it's more than about mental well-being. It's also about the workplace environment and, and how we pay attention to that. Real quick, before Mary jumps in, people use the term wellness a lot. And so here's what goes to many people's minds. Oh, you mean yoga, meditation, exercise, nutrition? Oh, I'm not getting enough sleep. All those things matter, but wellness is more than that. And by the way, you don't have to be a clinician or a physician to appreciate this conversation about the connection between wellness and leadership. Please, Dr. Freeman. I think that's a very important point. And obviously because of COVID and the, the trauma that we have all been through, um, a lot of the focus of my role as the chief wellness officer has been on mental well-being, but but well-being is much more than just mental health, right? It's it's spiritual, it's physical, uh, it's social, it's emotional. There, there's there's a lot of different pieces to well-being, but when we talk about the clinician experience specifically, we know that in order to really have high-performing clinicians and 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 to know that they are going to be providing the highest quality uh, patient care, we know that we have to have a positive, productive workplace environment for them. Um, and without that, we will never truly achieve the highest level of well-being. Okay. Mary? 
Yeah, and and one question that has always come up, whether in a in a clinical setting or whether you're an accountant, wherever it is, we all have uh, demands, we all have quotas, we all have specific benchmarks that we need to reach, and it seems like at least I know uh, from our experience working together with the Physician Leadership Academy at Hackensack Meridian Health, they have all all of these demands. How can they also be expected to do more with less? but then also be able to focus on their wellness at the same time. It almost seems like an imbalance somewhere in there. I understand absolutely what you're saying, but I would actually sort of argue uh, the contrary. And that is, I think it is absolutely possible to improve wellness while also improving productivity, right? Um, you know, you're, you're talking about benchmarks and, and metrics. And in fact, I think the two are really, really closely linked because if we give, when we give our physicians the tools that they need to be able to work efficiently, uh, that actually improves their well-being, right? So- oh, so give us, our, I'm sorry for interrupting, Amy, give us a concrete example of that. Yeah, absolutely. So. One perfect example is that we need to make sure that we are providing team-based care. And what I mean by that is we need our doctors to be doctors, we need our nurses to be nurses, and our patient care assistants to be patient care assistants. And, and when we do that, every member of the team is doing the job that they're trained to do, the job that they're actually certified to do. And, and what that means is that the doctor doesn't end up on the phone with the insurance company for half of the day, right? So it, optimal team-based care, changing the operational environment actually decreases that crushing clerical burden that our clinicians are facing. Um, so that's just one example of the ways in which, you know, if we give our physicians the appropriate tools that they need to be able to get the job done, then they're gonna work more efficiently and that's going to lead to them being more productive. But I think at the same time, it's going to improve their their day to day experience. Hmm. Quick follow up on this. We've asked you this. I've asked you this offline as well and in the seminars. For you, it's stressful for you. It's challenging for you. You have a lot to balance, if you will, in your own personal and professional life. What do you do to take care of your own wellness? Yeah, I, I think, you know, that's an important, it's an important question. And when I think about well-being for me personally, uh, it comes back to the basics of self-care as I think it does for most of us. So for me, that's about exercise. So I run um, and that is a huge stress relief for me, but it's also about making sure that I'm getting enough sleep, you know, making sure that I am focusing on things in my life, at least at some period of the day, that really bring meaning to me. It's, it's shutting off the, the 24 hour news cycle, it's shutting down the social media, and it's you know listening to music, it's reading, it's exercising. You I'm sorry for interrupting, do you shut your phone down? Uh, not as much as I should, <laughs> <Steve>. <laughs> but I, I, I try to, I, I try to make a habit of that. But you try, do you try to stay as present? It's so easy when people say, oh, you need to be more present, but we're multitasking. Technology has been this extraordinary thing and HMH has made great strides in terms of technological advancements, telemedicine, et cetera, et cetera. But Amy, where do you believe the balance is between using technology to make our lives easier and more efficient and communicate more effectively, but not letting it take over our lives? 
I know it's a loaded question. Well, I, I think that there is a limit, right? And, and we know that uh, generally, and sorry to say this to, uh, to a news guy, but if we just sit and, and continually watch the news over and over, it's not a great thing for our mental health. So same thing with social media. It's, it's, it's a blessing and it's a curse. And so I feel like it's, it's, we have to set limits and we have to place boundaries when, when it comes to social media and to, uh, to the news. Mary, you're not obsessed with social media. I noticed that. Yeah, no, I'm not. And, and ironically, I tried to post something yesterday and engage somebody on social media. And I thought I was just sending a message just to that one person. And my sister's like, do you realize you just posted that on your <laughs> I'm like, whoops, luckily it wasn't anything bad. Um, but no, and, and, and for the same reason that uh, Dr. Freeman had just shared, I, I, I have, we, as we all do, right? We have volume in our lives of things that are really just competing for our attention. So if I have social media, the one thing I do use it for, and it's so funny on Facebook, I follow a lot of dog rescue groups. I'm just obsessed with my, my rescue dog, Harley. And I just follow a lot of dogs because late at night, if I just can't sleep, I just kind of scroll through and it makes you happy to see these happy stories. But to get my news, no, I mean, I'll look at Twitter every morning just to see if there was anything really pressing in the garden state. I follow a lot of those key, our partners. Um, but I just find you can really get sucked into the vortex, into that scrolling and scrolling. And there's not enough time in the day for that, especially if we're looking to also maintain our own wellness. Yeah, um, and before I let you go, I want to ask you something. Um, so you, you're in an interesting role. And by the way, not every healthcare organization, not every hospital has a chief wellness officer in this way. And it says a lot about HMH that, you're, that they've created this platform for you. But I know from firsthand experience that you engage physicians very directly. Um, it isn't about simply promoting the wellness program, but it's about trying to understand the challenges that physicians and other clinicians face. Here's the question. You actually are providing avenues for physicians who are really struggling, who are feeling very stressed out, who are bordering on burnt out or being burnt out or are in fact burned out. There are services for them directly at HMH, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that I've worked hard on and, and that I'm proud that we've been able to, to do and, and to achieve. And so I'll give you an example, um, something that we developed uh, at, at the beginning of the COVID pandemic that we have continued is, is what we call our 24-7 our team member support navigation line. And, and what that line is, is uh, it, it serves two purposes, really. So it's there to manage a moment of crisis. Um, if somebody is really struggling, or even if you know a physician just has a really difficult shift and wants to vent to somebody before they go home to their family. Uh, but I think equally important ab about that line, which is answered by psychologists and licensed clinical social workers and, and licensed counselors, is that they listen to what the person who is calling has to say, and then they directly navigate them to the appropriate mental health resource, a longer term resource. So it really is a behavioral health navigation program that has made things a lot easier. You know, in, in the feedback we heard and the reason we created this line is that if somebody is struggling, they don't want to have to look through our website and figure out which is the, the most appropriate service for me and digging through and, and figuring out which number to call. So I think 
you know, that is, is certainly something important. But the other thing that I'll share with you is that, as you said, in, in my role, I really interface with cl clinicians on a routine basis. And what I have been doing along with our behavioral health team is to conduct compassionate listening sessions. And what I will tell you is that you would be amazed how just giving individuals who are overwhelmed with the stress and the emotional challenges of patient care, when you take those people and you give them an opportunity to just pause and, and to reflect and to put things into perspective, it can really make a difference and, and it really does improve their well being. So, you know, it gives them this opportunity to recharge and, and I think that it truly improves their resilience um, so that they can really carry on with those day to day responsibilities. So, incredibly valuable. Yeah. So, um, as we wrap up, I want to say a couple of these. Number one, Thank you for joining us, Amy, but also thank you for the contribution you're making to the Physician Leadership Academy at HMH. And also, I see no reason why what you're describing right now should not be a national model in hospital or hospital systems across the nation, because it's not only unique to your organization. And the other thing is this, there's a lot of lip service given to those who have been on the front lines throughout the COVID crisis. Lip service is cheap, thanking them is great, making a difference in their lives and helping them be as well as they can be. That's another story. So thank you to you and also to Bob Garrett, the CEO, who, by the way, check out Lessons in Leadership, past interview with Bob, with Dan Varga, who is the chief uh, medical executive, I believe, physician executive at HMH. He's been on with us as well as also Jim Blazer. These are three leaders within HMH who have joined us um, talking about these issues, along with Tim Hogan as well. Hey, um, thank you, Amy. Wishing you and all the great clinicians at HMH all the best. Be well. Thank you, Steve. Nice seeing you. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. Promotional support for this edition of Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Adubato, and my colleague, Mary Gamba, has been provided by NJ.com, NJBIA, and New Jersey Business Magazine, CIANJ, and Commerce Magazine. You know, it's so interesting in the last couple of minutes we have uh, wellness, Dr. Amy Freeman talking about wellness. I wanted to go around real quick. Uh, Mary, you take what for taking care of yourself. One thing you do to take care of yourself, you take that walk every day. What, I take that walk every day, but I'm, I'm particularly challenged because now it is getting darker earlier. So I need to figure out when to do it because it's like pitch black out there. But I take about an hour walk with my dog every day after work. Uh, what do you got, Elvin? How do you, how do you take care of yourself? One thing, not the whole thing you do. The one thing I do to take care of myself is I go play basketball alone without my children. No children allowed. You don't even play one-on-one. -on -one, you just play, hold on one no, second. No. Listen, Steve, I coach my kids. So I need some time to myself without the children. So you just take a basketball, you go out and you shoot. That's it. You don't compete. You just shoot. No, I don't have time to compete anymore. I got to get my kids ready. I want my kids to be like Frank's kids. Oh, yeah. By the way, yeah, we're talking about Frank. Duncan at, Duncan at 15, 6'2". Okay, Frank, one thing you're doing, we know that Frank's taking care of himself. He's lost some weight. He's eating salads every day. What else do you do to take care of yourself, buddy? One thing. Road biking. I road bike like Elvin's dad. Elvin's dad is a, a huge road biker. I've been road biking for like the last five years. O outside? Yeah, what, outside. what is road biking? That just means riding a bike on the road? Uh, yeah, but like it's, it's, it's riding a, a lighter bike 
It's like a race bike, like you see in wow. Tour de France. Oh, okay. I love it. I would hurt myself. <laughs> we, Mary and I are inside because we're, I'm on my Peloton bike every morning. I'm on a I, like 30 straight days. I'm not bragging, but I like that bike. Um, I like being able to work out every morning. If I didn't work out, I'd go out of my mind, which is why when we start the day, I'm kind of sweaty and I'm steaming and stuff. Real quick, Scott, hurry up, man. Calories in versus calories out. Calorie, what, what? What? Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. Go ahead. My calories in. What's he talking Cal about? Here? Calories in versus calories out. You can't eat more than you burn. You got to burn more than you eat, and you'll oh be fine. See those arms? You see those arms? I oh, know. Do the sweatshirt. Look at that. Look at that. <laughs> Don't do it, Steve. Don't do it. Don't, do it. Don't even go there. I'm going to take yeah. a hit like that at the end of the show. We're yes, talking about wellness, and you're hurting me. Say bye, Steve. Say goodbye. By the way. Yeah, I'm going to check you. Your muscles are too big. You're too cut up. I want to thank everyone. Everyone take care of yourself. Leadership, wellness. You got to take care of yourself. And the other thing you got to do is have a great team behind you. It tells you your time is done. I mean, not forever. We'll see you next week. Lessons in Leadership. This edition of Lessons in Leadership is made possible by the Bucino Leadership Institute at Seton Hall University, Prager Metis, Valley Bank, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, the North Ward Center, the New Jersey Sharing Network, Delta Dental of New Jersey, Kessler Foundation, and Seton Hall University, showing the world what great minds can do since 1856. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. Promotional support for this edition of Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Adubato, and my colleague, Mary Gamba, has been provided by NJ.com, NJBIA, and New Jersey Business Magazine, CIANJ, and Commerce Magazine.